0: So I was supposed to do Psalm fifty one. We're supposed to get back into uh, Samuel, but I just wasn't ready yet. Uh, the next portion of Samuel, I went and read it. I was like, I, I, we need a little space. <laughs> so I punted, and uh, I used the. When I was in Europe, I wrote this sermon in case I needed one when I got back, and here it is. So, <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. That's how it works. Um, yeah. So you know, you have a lot of time when you're away from your spouse or your kids or your church to think about those people and what they might need to hear Um, and so this sermon came out of that I thought you know what I would like to explain to them if they were all here with me right now and I was in Poland uh, and it's biblical friendship and so the verses are in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 is what I'll be talking about the other issue that I want to get into but but we have so many things to talk about Uh, is church discipline and just I think a lot of us it's new to us so we're going to be I'm going to be talking to the guys and I think the midweek newsletter we're going to do some instruction on just like some verses and some explanation of what it is how it works what to expect what not to expect um, just because people have questions people have questions and much like the covenant series there's people who are sort of new to our way of doing things and we just need to sometimes stop and explain ourselves. Uh, But for now, I think what we all need to hear, I need to hear, you need to hear, is uh, um, God explain to us what friendship is. What is it? How does it work? Why do we do it? Why not do it? Who do we do it with? (laughs) And so for that, we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. And this is what the Word of God says. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four-fold cord is not quickly broken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Ecclesiastes. Uh, for the preacher, Lord, for S- Solomon and his repentance uh, from which this book comes, we thank you, Lord, that he felt the, uh, the deep pain of his sin, much like his father, and that he wrote this book to us, um, that w- once the wisdom seemingly of Proverbs ends, uh, there is a deeper wisdom, uh, one for a broken world, one where things do not go the way that we planned, no matter how much we follow the book of Proverbs. I thank you for his ministry to us. I pray that as we consider what friendship means, that we would consider where in our lives we are alone, where we are toiling alone, and where we are cold. I pray, God, that you would help us to be um, more obedient to you, uh, not only better friends with you, but better friends with one another and with those in this world whom you have put in our sphere. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your son, and amen. Now, if you're going to talk about friendship, you first need to talk about relationships. Relationships exist already. I think this is one of, the, one of the first errors I want to address is that we think we choose our relationships. And that is almost never the case. You may choose a church, but you don't choose the people in the church. You may choose a job, but you don't choose who's already working there. You don't choose who they're going to hire. Um, You you don't choose a family, this one we all know, right? (laughs) You don't choose who's in that family, my goodness, if we could. (laughs) Right? You go to a church, there's people there already. You go to a job, there's people there already. You go to a neighborhood, right? Do You go and decide who lives in the houses next to you. No. You choose your spouse, and and that in the West is only a new development. So uh, of the relationships... (laughs) The only one you really choose is your spouse. And what do we find out about three years into marriage? That is not the person I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) So all of our relationships exist because God is sovereign, because God has a plan. God has a plan for you, and he has a plan for them. And the reason that he puts the people together that he puts together is because they are supposed to minister to one another. We are all of us. Not just being worked on by God, but we are, in fact, tools in his hands. That, and, and we are, in fact, the means, because God always works through means, of working on one another. Now, how this doesn't work okay, is God sits down with you and says, okay, let's address person A. Now, tell me what person A needs. Let's, all right? And you go to work on them now. That is not what I'm talking about. If that's what you think friendship is, then I am glad you're here. We do not decide to have relationships. They exist already. What we decide is are we obedient in those relationships or are we not? That's the thing that we have control over. Either we're, we're being neighbors like we're supposed to be, we're being siblings in the church like we're supposed to be, we're being spouses like we're supposed to be, parents like we're supposed to be, grandparents, friends like we're supposed to be, or we're not. That's the part that you have control over. Relationships are unavoidable. So it's not whether you have them, it's with whom, and, with, and, and how you're be, behaving and obeying in those relationships. Now, relationships are the, the primary mechanism of change. Random events do not change you as much as, right, like um, you're driving down the road, and you're near the rear end someone, and you drive all over the road trying to correct it. That, that's, that event can change you. But that is, right, that is not how God primarily works. How he works is he puts a person in, in your life, and you've got to love them over an extended period of time, and that love costs something. That love does something to you and to them. And it's this slow, methodical change that happens to us in relationships, which, which is the point of the relationships. Okay? God, God is, <laughs> he is, he is somebody who's working on us like Mike Michelangelo worked on Marble. He is working on us like Michelangelo used paint. It's one stroke at a time. It's one stroke at a time. It's very slow. It's very methodical. And it happens over a long period of time. Now, most of us do not want to expose our conscience to a different perspective. We don't want to expose our frailty. We don't want to be in need. We like... Uh, we don't like alternate opinions. We don't like various interpretations, right? I, I, I've said it again when I was in Poland. Trust me, hell is other people's music. I hate other people's music. This is one, one thing that is like a massive weakness to me. I hear other people listening to music, I'm like, please, stop it. <laughs> and and I, I don't like it. You know what I want? I want to go to my house where I can turn my music on, and I can turn it up or turn it down and change the song or not change the song and repeat the song, or my poor wife listen to the same stupid song 50 times. And this is an example of what we like. We don't like this. This is an area that I literally have to be very careful not to be really rude about. And why? I mean, it's music, right? Who cares? But you try driving in a car from Poland. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. Anyway. See? Look at the effect it has on us. We don't like that. We we like creature comfort. We like to do the thing that we like to do the way we like to do it, and, and what happens when you have, right, when you start adding people into your life, you have fewer opportunities to just do whatever you want the way you like doing it. Getting married, having kids, right? Okay, most of us can extend that far. Right? We're like, yeah, families, let's do this. But then you start adding even more people, right? And sometimes... Uh, it's, it's exactly how it works. Well, listen, I had to give up not listening to my own music at home with my kids, and I'm not doing it for you, right? You're going to sit in the car, you're going to listen to what I listen to. <laughs> so your, wife, your spouse and your kids can quickly take up what little relationship patience that you have. But you go, to, you, know, you go to work, and there are people. You go to church, there are people. You go to the grocery store, there are people. You go out, uh, this is the one I, I sometimes look, look out my window, to make sure nobody's in their yard so I can go get the mail and come back and not be bothered. Now, I'm sure none of you do that. Right? You're like, if that guy sees me, he's going to talk to me, and it'll be an hour before I can get out of it. And this is the way that we are. This is why we need to hear this. Because biblical friendship is the thing that we all need to grow up in a great deal. Every every single person in this church, I am convinced, needs to hear this. You were, uh, You were not made excuse me, to be an island. You weren't redeemed to have a one-on-one relationship with God. You were made to sharpen and be sharpened. The extension of your relationship with God is your relationship with one another. You, you don't just have a one-on-one relationship with the head of the church. He's the head of the church. So what necess- what's necessitated by this is that you have a relationship with both him and the church. And for us, right, there's a balance here. We're like, okay... I'm a member of the church, and so I will sit at home and I will listen to what I want to listen to as far as podcasts go, and I'll listen to Piper, and I'll listen to Alistair Begg, and I have have a church, and it's all these great saints that really fill me up because I have the church. And you're like, yeah, well, there's a church that meets down the road. How about, no? Okay. Or you get the reverse, and in our circles, we're probably more prone to this one. I have a church, and that's it. It's the people here, right? Like, forget the Forget the Lutherans down the street. Forget the Greek Orthodox guys. In our case, forget the other Presbyterians, even, right? The C R C PCA thing. Well, forget those guys. I got my church. And you can't have one or the other. It's both. It's both. And, and our problems with this extend from our basic problems with just having relationships. I mean, look, look at the world, right? Marriages, families, um, relationships at work, discipleship. All these different things, you can tell we have a serious relationship problem. Now, Paul David Tripp, he wrote in a book, uh, Relationships Are a Mess Worth Making. It's a great book, Relationships Are a Mess Worth Making. He wrote this. Are relationships optional for you? The arguments from scripture and daily life say absolutely not. If my identity as a human being is tied to community, then to deny, avoid, escape, misuse, exploit, or destroy it, is to deny my own humanity. You deny your humanity every time you avoid someone. When you get angry with your children, when you opt for isolation over facing your hurt, when you exploit another human being, or when you give way to bigotry. James 3.9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. Whenever you curse another person, you are destroying the thing you were both created for, God-shaped community. Ultimately, you are cursing the God who made the person, which means you have denied not only another's humanity, but your own as well. Now, first, every human being, I'm going to explain some assumptions that he makes in this quote. One of them is that every human being is made in the image of God. God created man, it says in Genesis 1 26 to 27. He created man in his own image, he created him. He created them. So right out of the gate, man is not a, a single individual person. Man is two people. Man is a community. Man, as he exists, is never one. It's more than one. And, and, but, but we have no idea the effect of Western, like American, Western, and I'm not talking in that sense like going back to Greek philosophy. I'm talking about the Lone Ranger idea. Right? All I need is me and my family in this wagon. Well, my family died. Well, now all I need is me. Right? I'm going to go up and I'm going to hunt beavers. I'm going to live by my, myself. And we are dominated by this idea. The other thing is that in the beginning, I understand it was a man and wife. Okay. But, but the principle, there's a principle there that exists outside of marriage. In the beginning, there was not just a guy. And God was like, this is awesome. Let's keep it this way. He says, no, you know what we need is more. And then he gives him, her, and then he's like, okay, now make more of you. Why? Because that is, that, that's what they were created to be. They were created to exist this way, not as individuals, not even as an individual couple. But as, <laughs> as soon as you have kids, and then they get married, and they have a household, now you have two households. Okay, well, now what we've got to do is, is figure out how your household and my household exist next to one another. Okay, now we've got 50 more households. And thus politics sprung forth. Because that's all politics is. Politics is, exists, right, um, because you have more than one household. And they've got to figure out where does my – okay, now that's the line between your land and my land. Okay, well, who's going to enforce that, right? Boom, governments. We cannot have a closed-circuit relationship with God. To be in a relationship with him is to be in a relationship with everyone who is made in his image. So baseline right here, everywhere you go, you have a relationship with every human being. And that is, both of you were made in the image of the same person. That obligates you. That obligates you to treat them a certain way. That obligates you to think of them a certain way. That obligates you to speak to and about them in a certain way. Now further, man needed help. It says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man is alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the first community, uh, as I said, is a, is a husband and wife, but a man at his desk at work is the same. He, it's not good that he's there alone. He needs a helper. A man in the front lines, right? We're, how, how would we feel if we were like, yeah, we got this guy, and we're now going to send him to the front lines? No, you would see him in the front lines and be like, this is not good that he's alone. <laughs> he needs helpers. A man in the waiting room of the hospital is the same way, right? There is a man in the waiting room uh, of the hospital. His wife is in, going into emergency surgery. It is not good that he is alone. And, and if you, I could go on and on and on. It is not good that we are alone. But what do most of us want? I want to go home. I want to make sure I get from my car to my house without my neighbors bothering me. And I want to get in my chair and I want to turn on my music. And, hey, kids, go in the other room and watch a video. And I want to be alone. Now, why? Why do I want the very thing that God says is not good? Now, okay, hold on. Hold on. Let's, we always have to be careful here. Is it always evil and wicked and sinful because you want to just sit quietly and stare out the window? No. I'm telling you, it's therapeutic. You should, in fact, try that from time to time without the music. But why is it that that is like the thing that I'm like, I'm just like, do what you got to do so you can go home and sit by yourself in the leather chair? Sometimes this is how I think. And I think, why, why do I want the very thing that God said was not good and that was not good for me? Why do we live this way? Now, on top of the fact that we're all made in the image of the same person, persons, sorry, triune God, Jesus is the head of the church. So you can't have him without the rest of the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his extraordinarily fantastic little book, Life Together, wrote this, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. There is no Christian community that is more than this, and none that is less than this. Whether it be a brief, single encounter, or the daily community of many years, Christian community is solely this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. You can't have me without him. I can't have him without you. And, and, and round and round and round we go. But we think we can have friends apart from this, don't we? Because this is like a big argument. Well, can you have friends who are not Christians? Um, yeah, I, I would count them as your friend. I wouldn't consider myself theirs. And, and this is very controversial. Why? Because the, <laughs> unless you have real fellowship, Real, meaningful fellowship, the only fellowship in marriage and church and friendship is if it's in Christ. Now, you may have acquaintances that you're very friendly towards, that you have a lot in common with, that are very sacrificial towards you, and, and, and you're like, okay, this guy's great. This is, we call him in our household righteous Gentiles. It's a funny phrase that I read in a book years ago, and it's a way that my kids differentiate between those in the world who are not hostile towards us and those in the world who are well, that is a very righteous gentile. We love that guy. We'll have that guy over for dinner, and we'll treat him well. But there is something about friendship—real biblical friendship—where the, po- the the source is Christ, the context is Christ, and the and the eschaton of it is Christ. That's friendship. Now there are all other now there's varying degrees of relationships, but this is the heart of it. We live, all of us, in a constant tension. Between self-protective, prideful isolation and idolatry, the idolatry of codependence. Now, <laughs> and I, I swing wildly between these two um, because there, are, there have been times in my life. I, I don't mind. Everyone's met her. How could I possibly not be codependent on Anne-Marie? Are you kidding me? It's like, come on, look at her. I'll do anything for her. I don't want anything in this world without her. And then sometimes I have to be like, you know, <laughs> right. hold on, wait a minute. So, so say the Lord God took her from me. Could I do what Dean is doing? See, we, we, we all of us are, are, are swing between these extremes. You're like, you know, if you actually thought about it, some of us are actually way more codependent than we realized. Because what would we think of God if he took that person from me? Now, the other ditch is absolute isolation. You know, myself can't handle all of these people <laughs> telling me that I'm a jerk, acting as if I am a jerk. Right? I, I'm going to protect myself by just not even having to deal with people. people and their problems, people and their questions, people and their accusations, people and all their nonsense because most people are idiots. So you have those people, but you also have people who truly, truly in their life, there is an idol and it is a relationship in their life. We live in an era where we create our own realities. This is right. I'm a man or a woman because I decide to be. I'm a he or they or it or whatever because I decide to be. Right? My commu- my family isn't not my family. My family is who I choose to be. My family. And this is very right. What what is a nuclear family? Now, when I used to work in the county, they'd have all these definitions of what a family is, and I didn't recognize my family in most of them. <laughs> it's called the patriarchy, anyway. We create our own realities. And so what happens is is we create these false realities all the time. We're, we're not immune to this when it comes to friendships. Because if, if I go and I look at my, f- my friend list, say, on Facebook, I will admit to all of you it is an echo, echo chamber. You know, what? I, I say something and people are like, that's great. And you're like, yeah, it is great. <laughs> oh, your thing is great, too. And you're like, oh, this guy doesn't think it's great. Unfriend. <laughs> And over time, you're like, man, this community and I are like rock solid, rock solid. And then you meet them in real life, and you know what? This has happened twice. I met someone in real life, and I was like unfriended by them like 20 minutes later. (laughs) And I've done the same thing. I was like, that guy is super unpleasant. (laughs) Like, that guy's got weird ideas. I don't know. That guy is kind of a problem. And it's not this fake thing that I create, this reality where we all hang out, and there's never any problems, right? Because you can just delete comments, So we have these relationship tendencies that take us outside of the biblical definition of friendship. Codependence is one of them. Rabid isolation is another. Creating these false realities where we think we have friends, but we're really not. Now, Lewis said in The Four Loves, okay, this is for those who want to be isolated. This is what C.S. Lewis says, are you worried about people hurting you? Are you worried about people doing damage to you, stabbing you in the back, being cruel to you? Are you people and their nonsense? You don't want it, right? The dangers of it. Well, this is what C.S. Lewis had to say to that in The Four Loves. He said, loving anything, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven... Where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and distresses of love is hell. The only place that you can be safe from the dangers of love is hell. Because they don't have it there. But here in this world, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this church, in your marriage, sitting around the table with your kids, the danger of of love we all know. right? Because people will say things that I don't want to hear. In fact, my wife, I I love it. It's beautiful. Anyone who's married, right? I could sit there for 30 minutes and just rip you up and down. And I'm like, I'm not getting through to this guy. I don't understand. Because wife comes in in two words, (laughs) right? Totally undoes him. And that's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of relationships. You get to know people so well that you know exactly what they need to hear and don't need to hear. You know exactly what they want to hear and not want to hear. You're like, hey, let me just breathe a certain way. And I will and then we will fight for the next forty five minutes. And if you think I'm kidding, right, if you've been married at any length of time, recently I was like, Why did you sigh like that? (laughs) You know, I hear my son from the other room, Dad, (laughs) All right, all right, all right, I see, I'm looking for a fight. We want to protect ourselves. And so what we do is, is we isolate ourselves to the point where, as C.S. Lewis said, your heart will be, okay, fine, you don't want to break it, it will be unbreakable and irredeemable. There is a danger to relationships, especially friendship. Um, the other C.S. Lewis quote that I like a lot, this is actually of all the things. Okay, Doug Wilson, he, he has like his little signature tag on his Gmail account, and then he has this quote underneath it. And I thought of all the quotes in the world, him, right? You would, you would think it would be something out of like Psalm 98 about crushing the skulls of God's enemies or something. I don't, he just has this reputation of being a ferocious guy. But this is the quote at the end of his tagline. It's from C.S. Lewis, uh, surprised by joy. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. There's no value no value, right? What what is the value? What is the value of philosophy? What is the value of art? Really, truly, right? If, if bombs were falling and we had to flee, would we all go go down to the you know the Seattle Art Museum and be like, let's make sure we get all this stuff out of here? No, we would flee as fast as we could. There's no value in these things, but they give value. And he lists friendship as one of those. It's amazing that C.S. Lewis thought of this. If that, friendship is one of the things that makes that gives survival value. Ecclesiastes 4.12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not easily broken. There is survival and value in friendship. The man who has a friend is not cold. The man who has a friend falls down and there is someone there to help him up. A man standing with another man a friend standing with a friend can withstand more than one person all by themselves. Now, a deeper understanding of biblical friendship begins, as all things, with our understanding our friendship with the Lord God. Did you know that you are his friend? Now, you may have known that you're his child. You may have known that you are his you know, bride. You may have known that you are his subject. Right? There's all these ways that we talk about God that we're very used to. But did you know that you are, in fact, his friends? And if he would be friends with you, <laughs> how could you not be friends with all kinds of people? This is what I was like, well, you know, God is my friend, so how can I not be that guy's friend? Right? If he'll stoop that low, I can, I suppose, now that I'm thinking about it this way, rise high enough to be that guy's friend. Few things could be more unnatural or incomprehensible to the unbelieving imagination than the willingness of God who created the universe to become a friend of mortals whose lives are a mere breath. Right, And, and this goes back to what I was saying last week. It's not even that he just knows you're there. It's not even that he's just present with you. He's there and he's, he's, he's singing over you with a loud voice. He's rejoicing over you. That was what I was talking about last week. And now we're going to go, now he's your friend. He's not just there. He's your friend. He cares about what happens to you. He cares about where you came from and and what you're doing and where you're going. Now, Aristotle, in his ethics, famously, said that there could be no friendship between gods and men, any more than a man could be a friend to his slave or his tools because they were too dissimilar in nature. (laughs) Aristotle comparing a slave to a tool. That's funny. So in, in classical mind, there's no way, right? If there are gods, they are not our friends. And you go and you read Greek mythology, and you're like, yeah, no, they are not friends. They are anything but friends. And this is the unbelieving mind. If there is such a thing as a god, there's no way he's too dissimilar to be friends with created things, with mere tools. Remember what I said? We're tools in the hands of God. How does why, 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 I, I am not friends with my shovel. Like, could you imagine you're like, hey, I'm glad you're here. We're going to have a beer with my buddy. And you go out on my back porch, and there on the chair next to me is my shovel. And everyone would be like, quick, call Joel. <laughs> right? Is Dean busy? He needs to come back. Mike is sitting in the backyard with a shovel. Now, that, that would be absurd. And yet, and yet, here we are sitting on God's porch like a shovel. The tool that he uses. But you've risen above a, <laughs> a mere shovel. This staggers the mind. This is hard to comprehend. This is so humbling that, again, how could I not now look at other people and get over myself when it comes to being their friend? Right? I I mean, here I am, just a shovel on the God's porch, having wine with him, having a feast with him, worshiping him, coming into his his councils, coming into the inner circle. He's telling me things that most people don't understand. He's caring for me in, in ways that I can hardly describe. I am more to him than just a shovel. And, and this is what we read about key characters in the Bible. Moses, the, uh, he, he he went into the tent of meeting, and this is what it says of him. He, Moses met with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So this isn't something that just Jesus taught us. Again, Jesus came to reveal things to us that were true, not to become things that God wasn't already. This is a key thing about Jesus. He didn't come to become something. He came to reveal. So there's Moses in the tent of meeting, meeting face-to-face with God, the God Yahweh, as a man meets with his friend. So there's God in the shovel, sitting around in the tent of meeting, having a good old time. And the shovel comes out, and he's so radiant that they then have to cover Moses' face because it, it terrifies everybody else. Right? I, I've spent time in my backyard with the shovel. It never becomes more glorious than what it is but we're hanging out with god and what's happening to us our faces are shining in such a way that they should be covered because we're being beautified right the beatific vision is happening to us so jesus comes along and he doubles down on this whole idea in john 15 he says this is my commandment that you love one another as i've loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. So friendship is at the heart of our relationship. He he laid his life down for us to what? Make us his friends. He, 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 He committed the greatest act of friendship in order that we would be his friends. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the friend of the bridegroom. John three twenty nine. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. We are the friend of the bridegroom. So the point of this, how weird would it be if they're at the wedding, there's the bridegroom, there's the bride, there's the friend of the bridegroom, and the bridegroom is winking at the bride trying to get her attention. Now, could you imagine being at such a wedding, and you're standing there, and you're like, "That, that's a that's a problem." Okay, because what happens to us is we want to be the bridegroom, right? We we want the church to love us. We want the people in the church to love us. We we want our you know we we get we distract the church. We want to control people. We want to provide for people. We want to be things things for people that are, is not our calling. We're the friend. We're the friend of the bridegroom. So, so again, this puts our friendship into context. So I have a friend, and my point isn't for him to think I'm super wise and super cool and super fun. The point is for him to look up. Because I'm his friend, but I'm actually his friend too. And I'm not going to try to steal your affections, and I'm not going to try to dominate your, your life, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. What I want you to do is to look up towards the bridegroom. And Paul says this later. He says that he's trying to betroth the unbelievers to Christ. And this is what he's talking about. So, so you get these, these metaphors used in these different ways. We are God's friend. But, but part of that is the fact that we're trying to get people to turn their eyes towards the bridegroom. We want the bride to see the bridegroom. We want the bride to serve the bridegroom. We want the bride to desire the bridegroom. And so th- this is like a little triangle of friendship. Now, there's a danger here. No one wants to be a project. Nobody wants to engage in a relationship that's programmatic or guided by an agenda. I had a friend years ago, and I I remember this. I was like, you know, this guy really needs to shape up. So I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to start meeting with him every week. I didn't ask him if that's what he wanted to do. I just said, I'm going to fix him now. (laughs) It took about 10 minutes where I was sitting there drinking beers for him to be like, I don't understand what's going on, but it's weird. You're doing something weird right now. Is there like a... He could tell, like, in five minutes that I had some sort of plan for him, some grand plan for his life. And this is sometimes what we do. We see, we see the young mom who's struggling a little bit, and we think, okay, what we're going to do now is take it on as a project. We're not going to come alongside and bear the burden. What we're going to do is we're now going to take this person out and we're going to explain all the things they need to know. And, and this is one of those things that people do, especially when they hear a sermon like this, and <laughs> there's, there's a meme that I like where, you know, the, the preacher preaches about loving the unlovely, and then this one guy who no one has ever said hello to gets like 50 people coming up to him at the end of the sermon saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I, you know, that, that's supposed to be the joke. So we don't go away from a sermon like this, and you're like, you know, these people need to be more like Christ, and what they need is me to be their friend. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? You're, you're, the, you're the friend of the bridegroom, but what people need are friends— who are going to bear their ber- shoulder to shoulder. Marriage is a face-to-face relationship where you're looking at one another. There's intimacy. There's protection. It's you against right, you here in this little secure thing against the world. Friendship is shoulder to shoulder. Friendship is two people next to one another looking out at the same mission, at the same field. Okay? And as you're doing that, you're changing. Two soldiers who go into battle together, right, they don't sit down in a tent facing one another and through that change. The two guys get their guns and their packs and they run into the battle and side by side, are they changed by what they're doing? Yes. Are they helping one another? Yes. Are they covering one another? Yes. Are they encouraging one another? Yes. And that is the kind of thing that we all need more of. We need co-belligerence. We need people shoulder to shoulder with us, taking on the same mission, facing the same God, facing in the same direction. Now, Friendship with believers is different than friendship with unbelievers. Friendship with unbelievers isn't the same. At the heart of the Great Commission is the friend of the bridegroom, as I've already mentioned. We are going out and trying to betroth the world to the Lord Jesus. Now, in his confessions, the great theologian Augustine wrote, No friends are true friends unless you, my God, bind them fast to one another through that love which is sown in our heart by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. So there is a distinction between friendships with unbelievers and believers. And, I, and I, I don't think we need to come up with a new word. We're not going to do that weird reform thing. Okay, well, now there's all these people who are not really your friends, so we're going to come up with another name. No. We just have to make a distinction between friends who are believers and friends who are not. Tim Keller wrote, Friendship is, not, is, is only possible when there is a common vision and passion. For believers in Christ, despite enormous differences in class, temperament, culture, race, sensibility, personal history, there is an underlying commonality that is more powerful than them all. This is not as much a thread as an indestructible cable. So your baptism and my baptism, no matter what, right? You, and, and I recently had this reinforced. I can be sitting there with people who do not speak English, and I do not speak Polish, and, and we are sitting there, and there is this weird commonality. And, I, and, and when I went out and about around, and I'm wandering around Poland, I, was, I felt far more comfortable that this guy was with me than not. Why? Because I, I, I did, I, he's with me, right? We're united to one another in a way that, I, that I'm not united to any of these people by language, right? You could have had somebody there who spoke English, and I would have felt less comfortable because I don't know them. There is this unity in baptism. There is a unity that we have that you cannot replicate in the world. Now, I have friends that go back, I have two friends specifically that I've had since I was 14, and I will not abandon them, and they are my friends, but they are not the same way that Joel is my friend, or Justin is my friend, or Peter is my friend, and Steve is my friend. It's completely different. Why? Because what I want and what, what the men in this room want is the same. What I want, and, and this guy that's known me, though, since I was 14 years old, what we want out of this, out of ourselves and out of this world and out of our work and out of our, our marriage is not the same. There's a discord there. And we have to be very, very careful. This does not mean that we then don't have relationships with people outside of the church. What it does mean is we have to understand, right, because sometimes we'll be like, oh, well, this person gets me better, more. This person understands me. This person, he's not a believer, but when I talk to him, he totally understands me. And I go and I talk to this brother, <laughs> and he keeps telling me I've got to stop doing this. You're like, well, what is, where is that guy, right? Now, hold on, hold on. You, you can see right on the face of the problem. But, but yet we, right, we check down and have relationships, communal relationships, friendly relationships with people who really aren't that good for us, right? Your, your neighbor might like to sit in his garage and drink beer with you, but what are you talking about? Why are you there? What is the purpose? What is the point? Where is it going? Now, if it's you being strategic, trying to get, right, to betroth the guy to the bridegroom, okay, cool. But is that, is that why you're there? Or are you there because he's got good beer and he talks about nothing but sports and that's it? And you never have to admit to anything. You never have to hear advice you don't want. <laughs> you never have to get addressed by anything. There's no quite awkward questions about your spouse, your kids. It's all very... Mm, and this also happens to us with coworkers at work. It's very easy to sit in a break room for 30 minutes and talk about essentially nothing. And you're like, yeah, this, this person really is great to hang out with. I feel better around this person. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go out after work. And what's the relationship based on? Where are you going? What are you talking about? W- w- are they asking you hard questions? Are you asking them hard questions? Where, what's the purpose? And, and I think that proximity has more to do with it than anything. Proximity, proximity, proximity. Proximity and ease. We are modern people who like things that are close and things that are easy and things that I can stop when I want to stop them. I can change the song when I want to change the song. I can leave my neighbor's garage when I want to leave the neighbor's garage. Right? I can leave church at the end. Oh, there's everyone talking. Gotta go. Right? We like to have all this control over ourselves and over our circumstances and over who we allow in to the inner circle. Now... We here can think of an idea that we've already been hearing about through Samuel, and that is the fact that true biblical friendship means you, you have united souls. Your soul is knit to the other person's soul. Now, who knit it? You? No. no right? If, you're, if he, they're in Christ and you're in Christ, then you're in one another, in a sense. And, and this is what we've seen with Jonathan and David. <clears throat> Excuse me, Their friendship is described how? It's described as, as two souls being knit together. They, they have deep emotion, they have intimacy, they have open communication. they have a willingness to do anything. They'll throw other right. His rela- Jonathan's relationship with his father is not more important than the one with his friend. Their relationship with their wives is not m- more important. They vow to take care of one another, so much so that David takes care of Jonathan's son after the, he dies. The yesed that they show one another is what uh, so much of first and second Samuel is about. This love, this unity that they have. Now, don't you yearn for that kind of relationship? Now, I know, I know that you are, right, if you're married, marriage is a kind of friendship. And in the Song of Solomon, she refers to uh, Solomon as her friend. Jesus says there's no greater love than a man lays his life down for his friend. And then we're told by Paul to lay our lives down for our wives. So, so marriage is a kind of friendship. And I think far too many of us, in one sense, settle for that. Well, I've got this friend. I'm not friendless. (laughs) Yeah, but that relationship is very, very different. Because I love everybody, but I highly doubt that your wife is going to say something to you, the kind of thing I would say to you. (laughs) Right? Your wife is not going to say, beep, you. You're an idiot. And don't do that. Stop it. You're a moron. Right? I mean... Maybe you have a wife like that. maybe you need some friends for the other reason. <laughs> maybe you 'll need friends because they 'll love you just as you are. No, i 'm kidding. So many of us in marriage' it's, it, it's a different thing because you're there together every day, right and, the, and, and as I said, slowly you're slowly moving in this direction. But there are times where what we need right are are people shoulder to shoulder with us and and, and, and here's, an, here's an example of what i 'm saying sometimes I, I mean, my wife says things to me i 'm like i Um, call Annie I have no idea what you're talking about right now I have no idea what to say to this if you want me just to make a decision and help you to make a decision you don't want that I've been married long enough now I don't want that but what you should do is call so call this person and that person and find out what you should do I don't know and and, (laughs) this is is true right sometimes you need somebody to face the same direction to you same the same problem with you because there is there's there's something there that another man would understand or another woman would understand that, you, that your spouse wouldn't. But, but then you have other problems. Then you have two ladies who are, in there, who are third, both 30. One's been married eight years. One been married 10 years. All their problems are exactly the same. And they're giving each other advice. And that's great because you have shoulder to shoulder. Awesome. Okay? But, but perhaps the two ladies should go over here where this lady's been married for 30 years and say, hey, here's the problem that we're having. Because what I find all the time is, is how often my, my older friends laugh at my problems. Like I sometimes laugh at my kids' problems. You know, the kids are very emotional, and you're like, oh, you know what? <sighs> you're so worried about this. Just eat another bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and watch some cartoons, okay? Life is going to be fine. It's going to be okay. There is a God in heaven, and here's some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> and, and sometimes, I won't name names. There are older people, when I'm talking to them, and I'm just like, Ugh. And they're just like, oh, here's a cigar. It's okay. It's all right. Do you want another beer? It's all right. Okay, God is in heaven. You're going to be fine. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I am going to be fine. And, and this is what, there, there's, there's an element where, where we do get stuck in these ruts where it's peer groups. Because, right? And, and we've learned to do this as modern Americans. I, I went to kindergarten, and you know what? Everyone there was the same age. I went to first grade, same thing. Right? Fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way, all the way. Through. College was the first time where I was like, wow, this is crazy. There was like a 35-year-old and a 17-year-old, and I'm 24, and this is kind of weird. And, and that was the first time where I was like, wow. You know, when we hang out after class, it's very strange. Uh, because the older guy is like, yeah, kids, you need to go home and study now. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean study? We're going to play Xbox. <laughs> and, and, and you needed the older, wiser person who was there to help you. But I also needed the other guy who understood, man, I stayed up all night playing Xbox. What am I going to do? And you're like, drink this coffee. <laughs> okay, take this caffeine pill. We're going to be fine. So you need both kinds of shoulder-to-shoulder relationships. And, and I think this is, this is what happens. We, we get stuck in the marriage rut, the, the family rut. We get stuck in the peer group rut. And, and there's, there's more depth. There's more beauty. There's more wisdom. There's more challenge available to us. And worse, thinking, oh, okay, it's my responsibility to choose. No, you, right? You look around. There are people of every kind of peer group, every age group, every kind of marital status. You, you've got single people. You have married people. You have married people who were divorced once before. Right? There's all these categories, and and there's life wisdom there. There's experience in what they uh, they've endured. And and right, but that is difficult that sounds rough it sounds nice this is what i always love about people i've been doing ministry long enough now you go to this person's house and they're like you know if i I just i wish i had more community you're like okay you know i was just at so I, I, i won't say whose house um two weeks ago and you know what they said they said the same thing right so then i go to this guy's house or that guy's house or that family's house and i keep hearing the same thing and everybody loves the idea Right, but then, <laughs> but then that one uh, family comes over, and the guy drinks a little too much, and he makes a colorful joke, and you're like, "Okay, we're not doing this again," because the kids were right there. Okay, so why would God put all right? Why did why would God let this happen to you? And is, are we going to fix it by just eating cinnamon toast crunch and watching cartoons? No. Okay, so now the husband's got to call the other husband. And you got to right, and 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 this is the other thing. Is that what happens every time you have people come over? If that's what happens every time people come over to your house, we have other problems. But we're afraid of this kind of stuff. We're afraid of what people might see, what people might say, what I might say, what might not be said. We're we're worried about being judged. We're worried about not being judged, right? I mean, no one noticed that I lost five pounds. And I have a son, he will remain nameless, who said, Dad, when you weigh 300 pounds, losing five pounds, it's kind of hard to tell. (laughs) And you're like, man, my sons are becoming my friends. <laughs> because this is the di- – right? And, I mean, just one more joke because it's so funny. There's that uh, – I love memes. It's how real serious work gets done. There's the two girls, and they're talking, and the girl says, Am I, do I look fat in this? And she's like, oh, no, honey, you look ma- amazing. And then there's two guys, and the guy says, do I look fat in this? And the, friend, and the other guy says, yeah, I have five fat friends, and you're four of them. Right? <laughs> And you like, now, this is what I, like, I love that kind of stuff. Why? Because tr- it's like, man, what a generalization in two pictures. And, and I think that there is a lot, there, most of us are afraid, most of us are uncertain, most of us don't really know how to proceed, okay? And, and I'm going to, this is a, a, a suggestion that I've heard for many years. Get out the directory. You don't even have to go out alphabetically. You just do one of these. Call them. Call them. Oh, well, that's a single woman. Oh, that's a single guy. Oh, they have kids that are four times older than me. What are the kids going to do? I have a tiny house. There are all these problems. Okay? And, and, and it is time for all of us to grow up. Because one of the things, actually, remarkably, that we are known for as a church is the crazy community life that we have. And I, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. Amen. But, but this is something that I was recently talking to somebody else about something else. Okay, so if I look at my church, and I look at that church down the road, and I think, oh, look at how much better we're doing. Now, Redeemer can win at that battle, in my opinion, all week long. Now, you take you look at this church, and, you, and you're like, okay, well, now let's look at the standard that God has set. Okay, now we have problems, right? Now there are things where it's not okay. So... Recently, I've been posting things on Facebook about this, about um, how to do hospitality. But I'm not even talking about hospitality. I'm talking about making friends. Hospitality is just one part of it. Who are you thinking about all week long? Who's, who, whose concerns are weighing upon you? Right? Who, who needs encourage, an encouraging word? Who needs to be told, hey, just come and sit down and, and smoke the cigar or not, eat this kale salad, whatever, and, and relax and calm down? It's okay. Because there are people in your peer groups who need friends. There are people across peer groups who need friends. All of us are in the same place. And I think the modern world has influenced us far too much. Okay? Facebook is not, right? it's not real. Uh, your work, right? the people, some of the people who live in your neighborhood, it's just too easy. Some of us just have relationships. It's just too easy. It's not what we're called to do. And there are a lot of needs, and you have needs. And why are we so afraid to talk about them? Why are we so afraid to ask about them? And there's a lot of cultural stuff, and it's imperative that you guys go home and talk. What are the cultural things that are influencing you in this area that come from the world? Versus this, right? Do you act like the friend of the bridegroom who's trying to betroth the world to the Lord Jesus? Are you shoulder to shoulder with people of various ages fighting the same battles? Is the point of your relationships Christ-likeness or not? Because there are relationships you have that fill you with anger, fill you with bitterness, fill you with accusation, with feeling bad about yourself, with feeling bad about others. There's these relationships you have that are not having a positive effect on you. And those need to end or change. Okay, The, the isolation needs to end. <laughs> the codependency needs to end. And what we need to do is be friends to one another the way the Lord Jesus is friends with us. And and if you look at words like that in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you'll see all kinds of amazing examples of what I'm talking about. And it says, right, in Ecclesiastes, going back to the beginning, are you toiling? Are you cold? Are you being attacked? Now, yes, uh, yes, and uh, yes. And so what you need is a friend. Now, are there people in this church that you know, right, are toiling, are cold, and are being attacked. Well, what do they need? Why else are we here? What, what else is the point? And, and, and this is an area where if we compare ourselves to other churches, we're fine. But if we compare ourselves to the standard of God, this is an area where we together collectively need to repent and confess and, and, and become far more obedient. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus who laid down his life so that we would be his friends. I pray that we would go from here and that we would learn what it means to lay our lives down, uh, not only for our spouses but for one another, to be better friends, Lord, to be the friend of the bridegroom, that we would uh, consider these things and that we would— Lord, repent and confess where we need to, be encouraged where we need to, comforted where we need to, and that we would uh, be far more obedient to your son, in whose name we pray and amen.